but my earliest memory of drawing is when I was two. At least that's what my mom told me. My brother and I would like draw just to build our own realities and to escape the ones that we were in. I believe it was in the summer, there was a show that introduced anime to Westerners called Anime Unleashed. So that was when I watched Ghost in the Shell. And yeah, it had a huge impact on my life. Like so many children of the 90s, I grew up kind of around the architecture of anime. I saw Yu-Gi-Oh! I saw Dragon Ball Z, but I never really felt connected to anime until I saw Megan the Stallion on the cover of Paper Magazine, Black Femme and In Charge, and began to understand how amazing anime could be, especially for young Black people. It's something that's so distinctive, so intricate, so complicated, but also so incredibly accessible and fun. Our guest today, Arthel Isom, took his childhood love for anime and turned it into a career on the other side of the world. In some ways, Arthel's story is universal. He fell in love with something and decided to follow that dream to the very top of the industry. But in other ways, his story is quite unique. Arthel was the first foreigner ever to work for the anime art director Hiromasa Ogura. And he and his brother Darnell now run the first and only Black-owned anime studio in Japan called De Art Stagio. As CEO and art director, his literal job is to create dynamic, immersive worlds, much like the ones that inspired him to become a background artist two decades ago. Welcome to Your Attention, Please, the companion podcast to the Hulu series of the same name that introduces us to present-day makers of Black history. I'm Kimberly Drew, curator, writer, and co-editor of the anthology Black Futures. And today, I'm joined by background artist and CEO art director, Arthel Isom. We spoke early in the morning, his time. And even though he grew up in New Jersey, like yours truly, he has spent the last two decades in Japan, primarily speaking in Nihongo. For those who don't know, that is Japanese for Japanese. Hi, Arthel. Hey, hey, Kimberly, what's up? Hi is something in Japanese, right? It's yes or no? Oh, yeah. Uh, but I guess inflection is a different spot, but um, so it's like more like height. But you can say hi, I guess, if you wanted to say yes. <laughs> hey! <laughs> hey <what's up? laughs> Thanks for having me, Kimberly. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to talk to you and learn from you. But before we get too deep in it, I really want to talk about the beautiful way in which Hulu captured your story. One of the things that I really love about those moments where you do step in front of the camera, where you're being interviewed, there's always this moment I think that everyone experiences where you say something where you're kind of like, wow, <laughs> I didn't realize I'd come to that conclusion about myself or my work. And I wonder if there were any of those kind of watershed moments as you were sitting down and really thinking about how to package your story, especially for a global audience. Yeah, actually, there are there are a few points like that. I, I think you're right. When you when you have to kind of sit down and 
digest your your own self, right? Your own life. You you look at it a little bit differently than when you're just kind of living it. You know, one one of those moments was, you know, because the, the director asks, like, oh, okay, why why did I choose this building? You know, like this location where where our first office is. And so I, I always just kind of chucked up as like, yeah, I'm, I don't know, I'm just a city person. I prefer the city than the countryside. And a lot of, actually a lot of Japanese animation studios are towards the west of Tokyo, more towards the, I don't know, more like suburban areas like of Tokyo. But our office is like right in the middle of Shinjuku. Like it's just surrounded by lots of, uh, in, in Japanese they say Agyo Biru. I have no idea how to say it in English. I think it's like, I don't know, business buildings. I think mm-hmm. you, you It's very say. busy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I've like, been. I've, I've, I've been. It's very busy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's super busy. Just, you know, the, the, the buildings aren't as tall as they are in New York. I wish they were taller, but, but they feel tall for Japan. And so, but just by talking about that and, and discussing that with the director and going through through the city and finding areas that I liked about it, I realized that, oh yeah, I guess that's so interesting because being a, a background artist and that, and that was kind of my introduction into into anime was was backgrounds and environments and the thing that attract like so it was like rediscovering the thing that that brought me to Japan, you know, um, within anime, just structure and the way that nature plays with the buildings here, but in a different way. Like it's almost like, you know, in common term that people throw around in the States, it's like concrete jungle. But through that discovery, I realized, oh yeah, that I, that's why I'm also attracted to to Japan and to this area is just because that is, I guess, really part of me. Yeah. Can you tell me what a background artist is? Um, yeah, like, you know, when when people think of anime uh, they often forget the background artist, <laughs> and like you know, because most people have fa- their favorite character, their favorite storyline, and things like that. But you know, background artists are simply like we're we're the artists who design the world that the that the story takes place in, and that the character lives. And background artists also come up with the color design, and, and occasionally the composition. I guess right, the composition of the scene. So that's kind of simply what a background artist is. And and I always feel like without a background, like you really wouldn't have a story because the background is so important. It tells us everything about the character. Not not only does it tell us about the character, like their history or where they are or um, who they are through objects and object placement and what we see there. It also tells us everything about the story that we don't hear through dialogue and through the character's actions. Like we, um, it tells us the time and place, you know, that is, that the story is taking. It tells us um, the error. It also gives the audience the mood, how to feel based off of the colors that we choose to, um, to paint the scene in. It affects our emotions, not only through color, but also through composition and, and how objects are, are placed. If things are really close around the character, we feel claustrophobic. We are storytellers through through the environment. That's that's kind of what a background artist is. So what I'm hearing is that the background really places us in the story. And naturally, I'm curious about your personal background. How did your childhood inform your creative path? Both my brother and I have been drawing since we, as early as we can remember. Our parents are artists. I guess my mother's a writer and my dad, like both a visual artist, and he also He's a builder, like with construction and carpentry and everything. And he's also a musician. And so our environment, I guess, was always within within some form of art. And 
because we've been always drawing, I think it was, yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like it was just, that was just the thing. I feel like the, the path was already kind of like that. Like some people even make fun of my, I, don't know, I guess they're not making fun of my name, but like my name is Arthel, which is like, if you separate the syllables, like art and hell together. So it's, it's almost like, <laughs> like. <laughs> not art hell. <laughs> art hell. Yeah. I don't know. Like it's just a chaos of like, you know, of art, right. And conception yeah. and like. So I, I feel like, yeah, like art just really has always just been a part of my life. Like we, when we were younger, my parents or my dad specifically wanted us to be musicians. And so there was that kind of divergence from being a, um, a visual artist, but I was more like a performing artist for a while. But I felt like, yeah, like I was fighting against a part of myself, you know, like that, that really just wanted to draw. I think in high school, I went to a performing arts high school, but I, but my major was music. But I was constantly like after after school and things I would try to draw and you know watch cartoons and things like that and you know read comics whenever I had the chance and so I felt like yeah there was like this kind of conflict where I was trying to discover if I should be a musician or if I if I am supposed to be a, a, a visual artist and I mean then I guess I ultimately chose being like an illustrator like artist animator. It's so interesting to hear you talk about your upbringing and being naturally drawn to drawing, being naturally interested in or inclined towards this way of storytelling as a connection or sometimes even a disconnection from the world. And now your work is just that thing. And I wonder if you could talk to me a bit about how you maintain your love for illustration, how you maintain a love for drawing, and how you check in with yourself about that. I don't know if I ever fall out of love of drawing, like, and that's kind of like a cop out of an answer. It's weird, but I, but I, but I do find myself constantly discovering what art is, and so I'm definitely not content with where I am. I guess as an artist, I think it's more like that. Like, so I don't fall out of love of the field. Like, I don't think that will ever happen to me. But I am constantly battling myself as an artist and and the art that I create and 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 where I am in in this space in this art space you know that I've kind of created for myself and that and then also that the world is creating because art is always changing and you know there's for, there there are the established forms of art which have rules and aesthetics that have to be followed. And, and then you have the rule breakers and which is interesting because they make, those are new forms of art. And I think that is like the kind of the hell that I was describing with my name, right? Art and hell, like where it really is chaos, like in my mind. Like I, I'm constantly feeling that what I draw isn't good. And, and so perhaps that's what keeps me drawing, mm -hmm. which, which is, I think, I think for others, like, so I guess that, that is the answer to your question. It's like, what, what keeps me engaged and what keeps me in love with what I'm doing is that I'm constantly trying to get better. And, and then that also affects the way that I, how I feel about the company as well. So as an individual artist, I feel that I have to draw and be and be active creatively. But at the same time, what does our company represent and stand for in this art field and what, and what are we creating? And It feels like we're just getting started, but I quickly want to pause to turn to some of our subscriber questions because some of the folks who watch your segment on Hulu are also very curious about your origins in anime. Our first subscriber question is from Lena in Minnesota. Lena asks, how 
Did your work under Hiromasa Ogura-san inform your appreciation of Japanese animation? Oh, okay. Oh, that's a really good question. Thank you, Lena. When I was working for under Hiromasa Ogura-san, I learned so much about, of course, just anime in general, because that, there are some people who don't know, but that was actually my first time working in the animation industry in general. Like I, I didn't work in the animation industry in, in the States. So my first job in animation was working in Japan underneath Hiromasa Ogura-san. And so actually he taught me everything about anime, you know, like that about all the, the process, the foundation of art, you know, and then being surrounded by um, a fully Japanese staff. And I really felt like he not only did he teach me about Japanese anime, you know, just about the process, the, the pipeline, the, their production process. He also taught me about Japanese culture, you know, and so did my senpai, you know, they all, they taught me about Japanese culture. Our other question comes from Ezra in New Mexico, who asked, who was the first character you designed for anime? I think the first character that I designed that is actually in an anime is the, is the doll. Because I designed her when I was in college, actually. Does the doll have a name? No, <laughs> she doesn't actually. You know, like she's just called a doll. She deserves a name. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> If you have a question for any of the makers that we'll be talking to later this season, please leave us a voicemail at 504-475-4858 for a chance to have your question featured on an upcoming episode of the podcast. We'd love to hear from you. I, I always struggle in conversations, especially as another Black person in the arts, where people are surprised that we are here. You yeah, know, yeah. Mm -hmm. not for nothing, people are genuinely surprised. Mm -hmm. And there is something interesting about what it means to be disruptive, mm -hmm. what it means to, I guess, step out of the bounds, perhaps, of expectations. Mm -hmm. um, and for you, you've very much done this in your career. You've moved to a new country. You've followed this dream. You've found tutelage. Can you tell me about that point? One of my friends had said it in an interesting way. They were like, oh man, your life, like, you're like one of these anime characters. And I never thought about my life that way. Being Black isn't like something that we chose, right? Or anything like, we're, you know, I'm just Black, right? <laughs> we're just going through life, right? And we just happen to be Black, right? And like, that's just our skin color. And so I found something that I wanted to do and I really liked it. And even though when I was younger, of course, like growing up in a Black community, like, you know, you're kind of looked down upon if you just want to draw, right? Like, and draw anime and, just, you know, like you like comics and things like that. I think now it's it's obviously become more open and accepted. But when I grew up, it, it really wasn't. And I guess in anime tropes and things like that, you always have like the character who's like, oh, I have to find my sensei. And like, you know, you go off and then you're like learning how to how to um, assimilate your powers. And so like my life was kind of like that, I guess. Like I, I grew up in, in Patterson and found like my Dragon Ball, I guess is like the first one or like the, the book that, that I was my passage to to my dreams, right? Which was, which happened to be for me, it was Ghost in the Shell. Like once, once I saw Ghost in the Shell, it was kind of like a, a new world opened up to me. And then I was just like, how can I fulfill my dream or fulfill our dream with, with my brother, with my twin brother, Darnell? And whenever, everyone always says, right? Like when you grow up in a ghetto, the goal is to kind of get out of the ghetto, right? You don't have to actually leave the ghetto, but at least rise above the expectations that are put on you, right? Like when you grow up in Patterson, the general expectation of just Black youth is like, okay, 
by the time you're 18, you're either dead, you're in jail, you know, or you're in the street. Mm-hmm. Especially as black men, especially as black men. Yeah, yeah. Like we're not, re- like a lot is not really expected of us, right? Like, so you start off the question with like, yeah, like we're being in a space that we're not really expected. And, and, and I'm constantly dealing with that without, and I don't, I don't think it comes from animosity or anything like that. I think, it, like you said, it's 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 interesting. I think people just really don't expect black people to be in a space, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like to like, and so when when I meet people, no one guesses that I'm an animator, right, or that I own the animation studio. Like, oh, okay, what do you do? Like, you're I don't know, military or you're a bouncer or you're like you know, the the space that I'm in is like that would never pop up in anyone's minds, right? But being Black and growing up in the, in where we grew up in, in Patterson, Jersey, and kind of just, I, I think because we dealt with that since we were born, right? Like right. low expectations and having to, what do you call it, like code switch and conform. And, you know, that we're just raised to be that way, right? Like we're, we're raised to do this. This is, it's, it's instinctive almost. It's like innate, right? Because it's like, it's just like, and even just like surviving in the ghetto, right? Like you have to, like depending on where, where you are in each area, you have to change, right? And so when you're in school, you're like one way, you're on the streets, you're acting the other, when you're at home, you're acting the other way. And you go to college and you're trying to buy other um, nationalities, you're acting another way, you know, but, but then everyone always expects you to act one way, right? And so I think just growing up with that, I, I kind of learned to just not even focus on that. My brother and I found like our own space to just kind of be ourselves. You know, we, we were just like, and I think we really just focused on that. Just be who we wanted to be and do what we want to do. And everything else is like not, um, is, yes, yeah, it was like a not, uh, uh, I don't think it's like, there's my English. I know, like, uh, I know. Like I'm di- like with you. I'm like, I know that it must be so wild to be trying yeah, to manage yeah. all. Of, I mean, we're t- you're talking about code switching and all I can think in the back of my mind is, one, the preconceived notions of probably who you think I think you are. And yeah, then also yeah. <laughs> to speak English to someone who speaks English as fast as I do. Um, <laughs> so I'm with you and I appreciate you working through it um, because yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I understand that it is not easy. Yeah, it's it's really, it's and it's because I remember when I grew up, when I was living in the States, I remember, I remember the first time one of my friends, they were, they were Japanese and they told me that they forgot Japanese and it's like how do you forget your own language like that it made no sense to me and, I, and I'm sure like your listeners are probably like what are you talking about this brother's lost and it has nothing to do with that but if you live in like a country for 15 years <laughs> where the people don't speak English like you really do start to forget your own language and and then, and then yeah there like that's the thing like because I feel sometimes like okay if I'm in a black space and I can't speak like and I don't know the slang or the jargon or something although I think like you know I'm I'm super thankful for our fans and I and I feel like I don't know like I, I haven't actually had that animosity from black folk or anything like which is pretty cool so I thanks thank you people for <laughs> for being out. being with me yeah, yeah. Shout out to all, the, all the black people who are just like understanding and supportive of just being here because I'm like man it's, it is crazy but like um but yeah like I like my English and stuff is just sometimes just out there but yeah but yeah and so when I discovered Ghost in the Shell and, and that kind of just helped that that kind of helped to really point me in the direction you know which was which was obviously opposite of what people would expect right like not only did I want to work in, in this animation field where there weren't there, there's still not a lot of minorities and 
um, particularly Blacks in the animation field, where I wanted to work, yeah, in Japan, where there's like no Black people in the animation field, you know? So like the in a, in a different country, and you speak a different language, and it's a different culture. But I, but I, yeah, like I like we were saying, like I just I didn't focus on that right on that aspect of it. It was just like, all right, let me just get it out there and or out here. And then what I what I learned to do was to divert my attention, I guess, in to the energy that was required to achieve what I what I wanted. And that, and I, and that, I think that's just kind of what I always do. I mean, it, it makes sense though because you think about what it means to grow up in an environment where the expectations are very specific. You know, not not mm-hmm. low expectation, not over mm-hmm. expectation, very specific expectation of yeah. young black yeah. men growing <laughs> up in Patterson, New Jersey. Once you exceed, sidestep, completely ignore, you are able to, for better or worse, step into this space of fantasy, this space of imagination. And it sounds like you were able to really throw yourself into your goal, where you were trying to go. Yeah, that's exactly what I did. And and I don't know, I'm kind of interested in your take on that. Like, what about you? Because you're also in the art space, you know, and was it difficult for you to, to become you know, this curator and understand to get to get this a grander understanding of what art is and what it can be or like what was your experience like? Yeah. I mean, I grew up closer to Newark. So it was easier for me in the sense that Newark has such a rich history in the arts, the black arts movement. I'm closer to New York City, right? So I'm going to these museums uh, with my family as a kid. But I will say one thing that I that really resonates with me in terms of your story, is that a lot of the work that I do is translation. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Because I want more people to love art. I want more, especially mm-hmm. Black people, to see themselves mm-hmm. in art, which is why I'm fascinated by you, because there are so many Black kids, adults, my dad mm-hmm. being one of them, who are so invested in comic culture on a global scale. And you arrive so driven and make your own thing possible, right? And you have these projects that are really specific and then also Mm -hmm. really pop culture, right? I'm so fascinated with language in that way because people are really sure that art is not made for them. Our people Mm -hmm. are really Mm -hmm. sure that museums are not made for them that opportunities are not made for them. And it is our job as translators to show them that that's not true. Yeah, that's, you know, that's, I, I like that term, even though you're speaking specifically at, as a translator. That's so interesting because I feel like our, like what we're creating is that, right? Like we're translating like cultures and things, right? And so, because art is so accessible and even animation, anime is accessible to, to everyone because you, you could just stare at it, right? And then your our brains um, read the language in the, the subtext, right? With, of, the of background. The and yeah, 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 <laughs> exactly in the background. <laughs> yeah, yes, right. And and so like, I feel like 
like anime and art and film is essentially translating culture and ideas and everything. And 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 I guess it is. It's one of one of the. I don't know if it's our our job specifically, but it is a task that being in the space is it's, that's kind of fall that falls upon us is to to show other cultures and, and to show our black youth and things that they that we can be in this space and that that art is accessible and you know that we're also part of it you know because history books and things like that so are, have and even some of the walls you know museums and things have kind of erased black culture and black history so we don't see it although we've been you know obviously we're we've been on this earth just as long as all the rest of the cultures and things right but but we're just not we're not there or we're not representing visually and I'm just starting to become more aware of it, you know, of the importance of representation in, in art. Because, you know, when you grow up and not seeing representation, you you really aren't, you know, you don't really focus on it, right? Like when you grow up and you see like Superman and you want to be Superman or you want to be Batman or something, like you don't grow up saying, why is Superman white, right? It's just You just like Superman, right? <laughs> you just, like you love Batman and you think he's the coolest character ever or whatever. And so... Like I'm constantly learning in, you know, from, from artists like yourself and from the translators and, and just from our fans and about representation and, and the lack thereof, right? And like one, I think as, as creators, should we, be, should we be creating from a sense of duty or should we just be creating because we like to create things? And, and, I, and I do feel like those are two totally different things. Like the, particularly since I'm a commercial artist, and I'm not a fine artist, right? Or our field is is like the so I feel fine artists probably create as a sense of duty and to themselves and what into their image, right? But like commercial <laughs> artists, maybe <laughs> I don't know, maybe not. No, <laughs> I, like no, no, no. I want you to say what you want to say, but I also would be remiss <laughs> not to say that all artists are commercial artists because yeah. even the most <laughs> fine art of artists, they're running small businesses, mm -hmm. you know. Or they're yeah, working yeah, with a gallery true. to sell their works. They're, yeah. you know, they're feeding their families. They're yeah. putting, you know. Hey, you're, you're absolutely correct. Like I, I, I remember because I and I would tell fun artists that like we would have these like debates, particularly. At, so I went to Academy of Arts, and that school is a very it's it's an amazing school. But they well at the time that I was going, I think now it's become even more commercial. But at the time I was going, it's a very traditional minded school. And we would constantly argue with the fine artists and, you know, about where, where, where are we supposed to be? What, what are we supposed to be as artists? Right. And like, what type of work should we be creating? And like, you know, and, and fine artists would always be like, you know, you're supposed to just feel and, and create what you want and people shouldn't tell you what to draw and paint. But, but, you know, as a commercial artist, that's, that's not the case, right? Like you, you draw what the person pays, <laughs> what the person pays you to draw, you know? And, and so, um, and so being, to bring it back to what we were talking about, it, it is a very difficult path, you know, because there was, there was this interesting comment on, on one of the music videos that we did. And in the comments, the fan got angry that the character, one of the characters, well, they, they, they made the mistake, but they, they thought the character was white, but the character was Japanese. But, and then they were very angry about that that the character was Japanese and, and that the main character, the main character was black, but then one of the women was Japanese. And then they were, they were upset about it. And like, they were debating the idea that why, why did we have to have another nationality in, in, in the, in the work? But, but then, but then other, other people in the comment 
section. I know that you're not supposed to read comments, but I always read the comments. <laughs> but another person in the comment was then debating with them, like saying, well, it's, you know, the, the, the setting is Japan, right? Like, so if, if they weren't focused on it, on just the, the visual and actually paid attention to the story, they would have realized If they the looked at the background. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If they, at, they would have realized, then they would have, they would have understood why this character yeah. is Japanese. But, but yeah, like, it, so it's really hard because it comes down to the question of, right, is it our duty to, you know, as an artist, to make sure that representation is there? Or are we supposed to just be focused on the, the, the story itself, right? It's, it's, it's hard. And so now we try to, I guess, ultimately, the only way is to, is to put yourself in a position where you can be in control over of the stories and things and to try to make sure there's representation in the stories. But like getting there itself is, is also a task, but it is, a, it is one of our goals, you know. Because you have the, um, you know, this incredible opportunity every day in your work to push those limits. And I'm fascinated by artists, especially like commercial identified, finite art identified. I respect all identities on the spectrum of artists. You have the opportunity to make the things that you're hungering for. <laughs> and that agency is one that I wish for every single person who is marginalized, right? To understand that if you do not see it, you can make it, you can make some version of that for mm -hmm. yourself. Yeah. I want to ask like a cheesy question about feeling like a hero, but I'm not going to do that. That's too easy. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I wonder for you, because you have this razor vision and you have a lot of responsibility in this moment. You have a team that you're running. When and how are you able to celebrate yourself and your work and all that you've accomplished? Yeah, that, I, I don't know. I Because I don't, I guess I don't really think about that, you know, um, about, you know, it's, it's too, I, I, I feel like it's too early to celebrate, right? Um, like, feel like that question is similar to when people say, oh, you're, you're kind of into history books, but I'm like, I don't know. It's still, it still feels like now to me, right? Like it's mm -hmm. not the history yet, you know? And so, so I have a, a number of goals and I think when, when I've achieved all of them, at least the ones that are the most present in my mind, when I, when I achieve those goals and the company can essentially move forward without me even being part of it and it's just like, it's just like a, a well-oiled machine, right? That Like it's just moving. I think then perhaps I can take, take a breath and say, oh, okay, cool. Let's, let's have a party <laughs> or something maybe, right? And, and celebrate what, what has been done. But right now it's, you know, we're still grinding and it's, it's still very important that, I have, that I'm present in the now, you know? I am so excited for many more conversations as, you know, time allows. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Cool. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me, Kimberly. How do you say that was amazing uh, in Japanese? In Japanese? Uh, yokata. That. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Period. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, that, that, that. Yeah, what he said. Um, perfect. If there's anything that I learned from Arthel, 
it's to appreciate the details. There are so many pieces to a story that make it come to life. Arthel's commitment to his craft is commendable, and his love for background art is infectious. Talking to him made me so excited to be able to travel again. I cannot wait to go back to Japan and dance the night away at Beat Cafe with Katoman, the Beat Cafe ambassador himself. It's time. If you enjoyed this conversation, don't you worry. We've got so much more to come. We'll be talking to all of the makers from season two of Your Attention, Please on this podcast. So if you haven't already, watch the show now streaming on Hulu. The episodes are also available for free on Hulu's YouTube channel. If you have a question for any of the makers that we'll be talking to later this season, please leave us a voicemail at 504-475-4858. So be sure to subscribe, leave us a rating, write a review, forward it to your cousin. It'll help more people find this show. Episodes are available literally anywhere and everywhere that podcasts are found. And also right within the Hulu platform. Don't be afraid to find what you love, share it with the world, and scream from the mountaintop, your attention, please. Your Attention, Please, the podcast is a production of Hulu and Pineapple Street Studios. Our executive producers are Jenna Weiss-Berman, Max Linsky, J.N. Barry, and Barry Finkel. Our lead producer is Sophia Steinert-Evoy, and our associate producer is Brianna Garrett. The Your Attention, Please theme song is composed by Teddy Walton. Our show is engineered by Davey Sumner. And of course, I'm your host, Kimberly Drew. You can find me on social media at at Museum Mammy. That's all for this week, but we'll be back next Tuesday with more Black excellence. Excellence.